it's been, a, I guess, like a little portion of the money conversation that no one has kind of been teaching us. You know, it's not about set up a bank account and go off and just go and do the next thing. It's about, well, why do I think this way about money? And you might find that you have grown up, like you've said, you know, viewing it one way or another, and you can't really begin a successful investing portfolio, in my opinion, without breaking down, you know, why you view money a certain way. Because if you don't know where your values and your beliefs lie, it's going to be really tricky to navigate that when you do start investing. love your business? You should, right? Well, sometimes we just don't. It's my hope that this, the My Daily Business Coach podcast, helps you regain a little of that lost love by providing tips and tactics, tools, insights, inspiration, all the good stuff to help you actually enjoy running your business. In addition to actionable tips and tactics that you'll be able to execute immediately, you'll also hear from creative small business owners around the world who've been able to sidestep the hustle and build a business that merges their passion with their purpose and provides a profit. I'm your host, Fiona Kalaki, founder of My Daily Business Coach. Let's get going. Hello, and welcome to episode 234 of the My Daily Business Coach podcast. Today, you have chosen a great episode. Just pat yourself on the back because this one may well completely change your life. And I don't mean that in some sort of like, I don't know, offhand comment. I really do think that it could change somebody's life or many people's lives who are listening. So stay tuned for the interview because it's it's a great one. Before we get into that, I want to, of course, acknowledge the traditional owners and custodians on this beautiful land on which I get to meet these people over Zoom and record and find out all these insights and raise my family. And that is the Warong and Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And I pay my respects to their elders past, present and emerging and acknowledge that sovereignty has never been ceded. The other thing I wanted to quickly mention is it's the 1st of September, so yay for spring in Australia and sorry for everyone in the Northern Hemisphere because you're going to be starting to get into the colder months and believe me, we have been going through some freezing times here in Melbourne, so I am really excited that spring is on its way as of today. But also, given if you're listening to this in real time, it is Thursday, the 1st of September. The other thing that's happening today is that we launch Marketing for Your Small Business course and coaching program. So Marketing for Your Small Business is our online course. It's available anytime, anywhere. You can find it at marketingforyoursmallbusiness.com. And it basically takes all of the stuff, all the things that I have learned over the last 22 years working in marketing and brand and presents them in a way that's really digestible and easy really for people to work through and create a proper marketing strategy. But twice a year, we actually run a live nine-week coaching program in addition to the course. So you work through the course, so you work through one module, you come to the live coaching session, you ask me any questions that you have around that, you can share your screen, you can share with the group, you can get feedback. And then at the end of the course, the end of the sort of nine weeks, we give you the option of presenting your 12 month marketing plan and strategy to the rest of the group for feedback and myself. So you not only get access to the course, but you actually finish the course because as you've heard many times on this podcast, I think it's like 90% of people buy online courses and they don't finish them. So we started the program to make sure that people work through it, get everything that they want out of it, and then you know, become more confident with their marketing and be able to actually present to the rest of the group. So if you're interested in that, it does open today and we'll be kicking this off at the end of the month, at the end of September, 2022. And you can find all the information over at marketingforyoursmallbusiness.com. You can also find it at the My Daily Business Coach shop, which is mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash shop. All right, let's get into today's amazing interviewee. So today it is my absolute pleasure to be bringing you an interview that I did recently with the amazing Simran Kaur, who's one half of Girls That Invest. So Girls That Invest is a business that she runs with her bestie, Sonia Gupthan. And the two of them are just changing the way that people approach their financial independence and create financial wealth for themselves, for their families, for their communities, and doing it in a really 
approachable, down-to-earth, funny way. Sim and Sonia host the Girls and Invest podcast and it is hilarious. It is so, so many times I'll literally be like giggling out loud and when I'm listening to it, say in the supermarket or wherever I am outside the house. And it's such a good It's such a good, easily digestible way of learning about money, of learning about the stocks, of learning about the economy. I mean, so much jargon is out there that I think really puts people off understanding more about finances, even though money is a huge part of our lives and particularly as small business owners. So Sim and I connected through Instagram I'm not sure when, maybe like a year ago or so, and maybe less than that. I can't remember. And like she had read my book and she'd posted it on social media, which is very, very lovely. Thank you, Sim. And we connected through social media and I thought, oh my goodness, what's girls that invest? Like, let me research this. I'm a researcher at heart. And so I instantly went, I started listening to their podcast, which as I said, is so funny and so informative. And it's almost like, I don't know, like, you know how you get children to kind of secretly eat vegetables? I feel like they're kind of secretly, well, not so secretly, but you listen to it and you don't even realize that you're coming out of it with all these financial acumen that you didn't have before, because it's just genuinely really entertaining to listen to as well. So I connected with Sim through social media, started listening to the podcast, started, you know, following them. So much great advice, bite-sized advice on their Instagram, which is at girls that invest. And I thought this was such a good thing and really in the right time of my life, because we're investing more into shares and I'm at that age where you're kind of thinking, oh my gosh, you know, I'm, I'm kind of midlife. And so I started listening to it and then I actually bought the course as well, which is amazing. I, I didn't start the course for a while because I wanted to start it with my husband. I wanted both of us to go through it. And from the first, like the first video, even the first module or maybe after the first module, but the after the welcome part, just straight in, straight in with so many good ideas and and practical information and things that you think, how do I not know this? Like, how do I not know this? And I'm like 42. And just, I just wish my younger self had have had some sort of resource like Girls That Invest. So if anyone's listening who is younger than 42, definitely get into it. But likewise, anyone who's older, and Sim talks about this quite a bit, Sim and Sonia, that it's never too late. It is never too late to to start your financial journey with investing. And so I asked Sim a while ago to come on the podcast and we've had numerous changes of dates. So I'm so, so glad that we were able to make it happen. If you have not been aware, because it is all over the internet, Sim put out a book very recently called Girls That Invest. It's published through Wiley. You can find it pretty much everywhere. And it is such a great way to kind of start your understanding of investing, regardless of where you are in your life, regardless of your financial background or, you know, your experience with this sort of stuff. It's such an, a great, just easy to digest way of understanding money. And I think this is something that Sonia and Sim do really, really well, whether it's through their podcast, which is actually the number one investing podcast in the world for women. So go them, but also through their Instagram at girls and invest, just everything that they put out is just digestible. It's, it's information that makes learning about stock market actually interesting. I'm also a subscriber of their weekly stock market tea, which is a great newsletter. They started maybe three, four months ago. Really, really great bite size. Again, easy to digest information. And as Sim talks about on the podcast, she and Sonia go through all of the like really boring reports to be able to bring you the information that you are interested in most. So in addition to investing information in today's chat, we also talk about what it's like to work with your bestie, what it's like to switch careers. Sim did not start in the financial space. She started in a completely different career. And also what it's been like as a young woman, a woman of South Asian heritage, a woman from little old New Zealand to get onto the global stage, talking at things like TEDx, being in Vogue, being in Business Insider, literally traveling the world, talking about what it's like to invest and to actually create financial independence for yourself. So such an interesting chat and I will stop talking and get on with it. So here is my wonderful interview with the amazing Simran Kaur of Girls That Invest. Hello, Sim. How are you feeling today? And where are you joining us from? Because I know that you're a bit of a jet setter. A bit of a jet setter. I am good. Thank you for having me. I'm in Auckland, New Zealand, which is where I grew up. So back at back home. But yeah, I'm really excited for this chat today. I feel like it's been a long time coming. <laughs> 
yes, it has. But I'm so excited too. I was like telling my husband all about it because I was saying to you just before we hit record, you're a total celeb in, I think you're a celeb in the world, but I think you're a celeb particularly in our house in North Warrandyte. So I think we're both excited to be talking to you. But for the 1% of the population who has not heard about you and doesn't know Girls That Invest or also the Indian Feminist, what is, let's start with Girls That Invest, what is that? And, you know, how do you describe it and kind of why did you start it? Oh, that's a great question. So Girls That Invest, we are a podcast. We are uh, the world's number one investing podcast for women, which is absolutely Woo! crazy. Hasn't hasn't quite hit. And uh, now very recently author of Girls That Invest, which is a recent book that's come out that's been hopping off um, kind of around the world. So we're in the middle of our book tour for that. And what do we do? I guess we the main thing that we're trying to do is get more people, especially women and people of color, but essentially everyone to understand investing and understand the jargon behind it so that if and when you do ever want to invest, you know, it's not confusing, it's not overwhelming because that's what we experienced when we were growing up and we just wanted to make the road a little bit easier. Oh my goodness. And you have, and I love how you just humbly say it's been popping off. I believe maybe I'm wrong. Did you sell out of your book in pre-order? already or like was it just yes we did funny I I won't name them but there was a big retailer who didn't end up getting enough books for pre-orders and ended up having to cancel a lot of people's pre-orders because it was just taking so long but that's a good problem to have now that I look back on it (laughs) yeah people are like going crazy and it also I mean it's a really great book and we'll get into it more but it looks really pretty too and you know people do judge a book by its cover and everyone who says that they don't isn't telling the truth. It looks really, it looks really awesome as well. And so speaking of the book, I am currently reading it for a second time because I wanted to kind of read it first. I used to actually be a proofreader in book published, like in book publishing. So really, yeah, they're always like nothing, nothing will ever stand out the way that it stands out in the first read through. But Mm. I probably should have had a highlighter with me when I was reading it the first time and a pen and I didn't. So I'm going to read back and do all the homework and everything. But one of the things that's really, really evident from this, and you've just mentioned it as well about the business, is this idea of like breaking down these walls, whether they're real walls, like, you know, people's cash flow or anything else or perceived loads of us, and I don't think it ever really goes away with age, have these around things like wealth creation, particularly when it comes to investing. I think even just that word can be very triggering or even taboo or even, oh, that's for somebody else when people hear it. So it's one thing to learn this for yourself, you and Sonia, but it's another to kind of go all out and help others learn that. So I'm just wondering, because we all learn things all the time. Like I'm a really good baker, but I'm not creating a whole business out of it, <laughs> maybe when I'm older. But what was the catalyst for you to dive all in on this and to go further with this than just sort of sharing it with people on the internet or sharing it with friends and family? Honestly, I think one of the things that really stood out for me was when I was growing up, I saw just the effect that having money or rather the effect not having money had on the woman around me. And, you know, I grew up in a very patriarchal sort of setup with being Indian by descent. And you just sort of see situations where, you know, two partners would argue, but the one that had the financial leg up would go, well, I'm paying for this, so it's happening my way. Or well, like even little things like, well, we're going on holiday and I'm paying for it, so I'm going to choose where we go. And it just got to a point where I was like, wow, like, your everyday financial decisions, but also just your everyday life decisions can be dictated by money. And like, that's not something I want. That's not something I enjoyed seeing these women endure. And I think that really was my initial spark of like, okay, let me learn about this money thing. And then the second more recent kind of push towards, you know, even starting Girls That Invest as an Instagram account and a Facebook group and and all that was sort of in 2020 when I started at the start of 2020 realizing that every like smart young professional woman that I was speaking to, I just started working that year. They were all like, yeah, I save and I do this and I'm so good with my money. I like automate. And then I'd be like, oh my God, awesome. And like, what do you do for investing? And they'd be like, I know I need to start. I just don't know where to start. And that I don't know where to start piece just like really resonated with me. And I was like, well, I know a little bit about investing. Like what if I created a resource where that's where everyone knows to come to start? Wow. So that 
just that question alone, like I, I should, but I don't know where to start or even statements and just the, I don't want to know where to start and I don't know what resources are out there. And maybe that'll just be whether it's procrastination of finding that information themselves or whether it's a bigger, deeper feeling of that I'm not worthy of that or that's for somebody else. And I kind of wanted to touch on that a bit more because what you've just said, I feel like also pertains to whether it's people just getting into the professional life for the first time, women particularly, or small business owners, that's who I work with. And I think many people that I'm working with, we work a lot on their money and just sort of getting their profit levels up and really understanding where their revenue streams are and how much money's coming in from each and which ones to drop. But I'm just wondering if people are listening to this and they maybe have made some profit. I work particularly with homewares and and interiors and design. And a lot of those people actually did quite well during the pandemic, which sounds awful, I know, for a lot of companies listening. But, you know, everyone was at home, everyone wanted to renovate and put new decor and other stuff in. How can somebody who is listening to this and perhaps has made the profit and wants to expand their wealth creation, like how can they even begin to reframe what they might have been taught? Maybe they grew up in a in a conservative background. Maybe they grew up with just, I don't know, maybe the opposite end where their parents made heaps of money and they just saw it destroy things or maybe where, you know, everyone had a whole lot of freedom and they, they're worried that if they have too much, I don't know, all sorts of things we have, all these beliefs. But I think there's other belief that I've mentioned a few times, which is just this idea that shares and investing is not for me or for them. And say someone is listening to this and they're thinking, well, that sounds really good, Sim, and I have a bit of extra money right now. Like I'd like to invest it. Where do they even begin? It's so interesting that you mentioned that because what I really believe in, like when people do come up to us and go, well, how do I start? It's not, hey, go buy this share or go buy, you know, jump into this fund now that you have this extra money. Like, first of all, congratulations for making, you know, what you have. That's such a big feat in itself. But the next step is really mindset. And I can't believe that it's been a I guess like a little portion of the money conversation that no one has kind of been teaching us. You know, it's not about set up a bank account and go off and just go and do the next thing. It's about, well, why do I think this way about money? And you might find that you have grown up, like you've said, you know, viewing it one way or another, and you can't really begin a successful investing portfolio, in my opinion, without breaking down, you know, why you view money a certain way. Because if you don't know where your values and your beliefs lie, it's going to be really tricky to navigate that when you do start investing. And what I found that's really worked for me is understanding the negative associations I have with money and the negative associations I have with my ability to understand money. You know, when I was younger and I thought I'm not good with numbers, you know, money is evil. The only people in my life that have money are like mean old men. And so, <laughs> and so I, you know, I really associated money and wealth with them. And I, I remember saying to my parents, like, I never want to own a business because I don't want to be like that family friend as if you could only own a business by being, you know, very stern and angry and stressed out all the time. Yes. Oh, yeah. So true. I actually interviewed this financial advisor, Amanda Thompson, a while ago, and she, I thought I was having therapy, Sim, like she was asking me all these (laughs) deep-seated questions. And it's funny because I go through this with clients and we have a whole money mapping course that goes through money mindset as well. But I grew up in a Catholic family. My parents busted their gut. We all came out from another country They came to Australia knowing no one. It was very much like we're pouring all our money into your education because once you have education, particularly women, you can't, no one can ever take that from you. So I grew up with a very much like spend your money on education and travel. But like my parents never talked about shares. I actually didn't know they had shares until my brother turned 40 and my dad sold some shares or gave him some shares as a present. And I was like, do you have shares? So yeah, I totally grew up with all these different things and I've had to go through that same process. I think it's such an important point to make. And so another element that you're really passionate about, and you've touched on it already as well, is celebrating BIPOC and women of colour in business and in finance. I love the story in your book when you mention an older woman at an event sort of suggesting you have to make your own money, your own freedom. It reminded me a lot of my mum growing up. She was always saying to me and my sister, you have to have a separate bank account, And she worked with a lot of women in sort of domestic violence situations. And so she used to always be like, you need a way out. And so you talk about your South Asian heritage. I mean, I think it happens in in all sort of backgrounds as well. But you talk about that a lot in your work. And it's such a powerful thing. So I work with people from numerous backgrounds and different 
you know, different experiences and, and different education, life and academic and everything else. And I think having someone that people can relate to when it comes to scary things like finances or wealth creation is really powerful. I really do think that if people can see it, see themselves, whether it's your heritage or it's your age or it's your gender or it's being from like little old New Zealand. And I say that with love because my best friend lives in New Zealand. You know, it's really important. So I'm wondering how have you found it? Because you're a superstar. You're the number one financial, is it financial advice podcast in the world? I would say investing and number one investing. But I guess what I found has like really worked with us that I didn't realize was such a important aspect was that representation piece. And I think like we had a lot of really great feedback when we started, but the number one feedback was, wow, I'm so glad, quote unquote, someone DM'd us and she said, thank you for not being the generic male voice. You were just the voice I needed. Mm -hmm. And that really like hit me. And I was like, wow, like I think we've actually got something good here. I mean, this was when we were at the start of the podcast and I wrote down that quote and I stuck it on my wall just where my desk was so I could see it every day and remind myself that there's something going on here that might be like, you know, bigger than me or it might be something that even on the days that you don't really feel like getting up and doing a podcast and working in XYZ, that there's some purpose behind it. And I think that purpose and realizing that representation matters so much has just been so crazy. Yeah, so crazy. There's so many lessons in that. One is if you like something and somebody, you know, some business is do- or a podcast, please let them know because if that person hadn't have let you know, maybe you wouldn't have felt as inspired to get up all the time. But yeah, I actually, when I came across you guys, I thought the fact you were from New Zealand, that really made a difference. Like, cause I was like, okay, this isn't the typical, I don't know, Americans talking about 401k or just something that wasn't <laughs> This I, I always feel like, and I again, I apologise to anyone listening to New Zealand. I know that New Zealand and Australia are very different countries, but I always feel like we're kind of the same place. <laughs> like, even yeah. though it's very different. But and so I, I really felt like an affinity of okay, well, they're in New Zealand and they're doing this and this, so maybe in Australia we could do it too. So yeah, I think it's amazing what you're doing. Uh, and I also wanted to ask, in that, do you think that things are changing? Do you think that it's been easier or harder than you imagined to step into a global world as a young person, a young woman and a young woman of South Asian heritage from New Zealand? I think you have to have like a little bit of tough skin to put yourself online these days. And I say that with a lot of experience. So you kind of touched on it earlier. And so for those listening that probably don't know this, before Girls and Invest and before Girls and Invest kind of became what it is, I was in university and I started a little movement at the time called the Indian Feminist. You can kind of get from the name what it's about. It was a an Instagram account based on the experience of uh, Indian women that were kind of living overseas in Western countries. And we have such like polar opposite worlds or traditions, can, you know, what the gender roles of a woman in like Indian culture, traditional Indian culture look like was so different from, you know, living in New Zealand or Australia. And I guess that that idea also kind of started the same way girls invested, where I was like, wow, no one else is like talking about this. And this is something I want to talk about. And I can't find that resource. So I might as well just make that resource myself. And what I found from it was that so many people just wanted to be a part of this thing. And so many people wanted to jump in and, you know, share their experience and go, oh my God, me too. I'm not the only person. And that also came with a lot of growth, which also led to a lot of people coming in that weren't really our target audience and therefore had a lot to say about feminism and about that kind of experience. So I grew very thick skin early on from that kind of, I guess, hate comments or DMs. We got death threats. So oh my goodness. yeah, it was crazy. So now when we do um, stuff on Girls and Vests and someone goes, you know, Da da da. I'm like, well, that's not a death threat. So I've had it worse. <laughs> oh my goodness. No, I think it's amazing what you're doing. And I wanted to ask you a question about that later as well, but I may as well just ask it now. You have grown both of these massively. Like I think the Indian feminist has like up, you know, over 300,000 followers on Instagram. Mm-hmm. Girls and in Invest is hugely, hugely popular, like over 100, 150. Am yeah. I getting that wrong? Yeah. And, and so, we haven't mentioned this yet. You also were an optometrist. Is that right? You studied optometry? Yeah, I was such a 
What a weird combination. I was looking at my LinkedIn a few uh, months ago and it was like, yeah, Indian feminist and girls that invest and then optometry. And I was like, <laughs> one of these does not look like the other. <laughs> but how did you, like being an optometrist, obviously, you, you know, you're young, everyone young. I'm a lot older. And, you know, I just look at even the way that my my son is able to use the internet, just that they can, you have it, you grew up with this, whereas I did not. So is it just I'm young, I knew how to engage with people, that's what people, you know, I knew what people wanted and therefore I grew the communities? Is it I purely went out there? I think that your intention with both Girls That Invest and Indian Feminists was to go out and and connect with people and share and, and give value and that that does relevant, you know, usually help with building an audience. But did you have a lot of training in social media? I mean, how did you, you know, there's brands out there that would die to have those kind of numbers. I think for me, it was the second way of doing it, the, the way that you mentioned of just wanting to get out there. I still vividly remember with the Indian feminists. So I never really had any media training. This was around 2016. And I think Instagram was, you know, quite popular even back then. So I knew what it was about. And I just found that if I just tried, like that was nothing could go wrong. Like, you know, what's the worst that could happen? And I had the idea of, you know, we might get 200, maybe even 300 people that follow in and listen along with the Indian feminist. And to me, I think that was like the intention and the idea behind it. And very quickly, I started to realize that I really enjoyed social media and I enjoyed connecting with people. And if there's one like piece of advice I have for someone that's like, how on earth do you grow to account so quickly? It's just to like keep trying different things. It's very much like throw spaghetti on the wall and see what sticks and what sticks, keep doing more of and what doesn't let go. But you're still continuously trying new ideas like, what what about this kind of post? What about this? What about a video? Okay, that didn't work back then. Let's try something else. So if you do that for like six years, I can, you know, only imagine that, of course, over time, you kind of find what works and just do more of it. Oh, such a such a simple answer, but so <laughs> so good. I wanted to ask you another question, and I'm putting you on the spot here about optometry. So I have recently had huge back challenges, and I think the number one person who's helped me has been this amazing acupuncturist, cuppist guy, Richard Yates. If anyone's listening, although he will hate that he's been called out on so on, on like the <laughs> podcast. But he would like poke me in different places and be like, which one hurts more, the left or the right? And I'd be like, oh, my God. And I said to him, oh, my God, you're like an optometrist. How they like put the different things in. (laughs) One or two. (laughs) Did you ever trick people? Did you ever just put the same thing in? Because I feel I've had to wear glasses since I was 17. I'm supposed to wear them all the time and I, I don't always. But I always felt so tricked. I was like, are they just putting the same thing or are they putting a clear piece of glass? Did you ever trick anyone as a just a joke? Are you trying to like debunk the optometry one or two? <laughs> I'm always so confused and stressed when I do that because I'm like, I don't know, I don't know. Do you know what? I'll tell you something. We usually know what your answer is going to be, but it's just to like confirm it. And usually when it gets to that stage where they look almost the exact same, that means you like, we're at your prescription, like we're, we're very close. And so for an adult, I've never tricked them or shown. No one really like, you know, does it on purpose. It's just to like, <laughs> It truly is one or two, but with children, we had so many children, usually young girls at the age of nine to 10 would come in, their best friends would have just got glasses and they'd sort of pretend that they needed to to see. And so you'd put in some clear lenses, they could suddenly see it perfectly and, you know, you save their parents a little bit of money. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. Sorry, I've always wanted to ask that question. I couldn't ask it while I'm at the exam because I'd be like, "Uh, no, are you tricking me? (laughs) And so back to finance, a lot of people are feeling quite stressed by the news. We've got, you know, constantly you turn on the news and it's, it's, this is down and the stock market's down and there's a recession looming and oil gas prices are up and there's no iceberg lettuce here in Australia, but they might be thinking, you know, anyone, they being my wonderful audience might be like, well, who has the money to invest? Like, why are we even talking about this? I'm just trying to make my shops rent this month. What would you say to someone who perhaps is thinking, well, I'll do that once I get to, you know, $10,000 extra in my bank account, or when I get to five figures, I need to start with that. That used to be the exact way I viewed investing and thought like, yeah, I don't have money for this. I'm a student or I've just started working or I guess like when I was back in high school, when I'd be like, you know, doing little odd jobs, I just thought, no, it's not for me. 
but things have changed. And I think that's why it's probably one of the biggest misconceptions that still come up. And it's one of the things that we touch on in the book because it's it comes up so often, the idea that you don't actually anymore need a lot of money to invest. Back in the day, you needed like a minimum spend on investing. It's like when you go and host an event and the event venue goes, hey, look, yeah, you can stay here, but you need to spend five grand. And you go, well, <laughs> I don't have that. Investing used to be that same way. So I can almost understand why people have that misconception. But now we're very fortunate to live in a time where we have micro investing platforms, the apps where you can just literally download onto your phone and put in a dollar or five dollars or ten dollars to invest. And someone might say, well, one, is that, you know, is that worth it? And two, is it something that I should do later down the track or early on? And I really like data and I really like numbers and I'd call myself a little bit of a nerd. And what the data has shown is it is better to invest even $10 a month, you know, when you can, rather than waiting till five or 10 years down the track when you could put in $100 a month. And you might go, well, then how do you invest with $5 or $10? There's this thing called fractional shares. So if, you know, one share of, let's say, Comsec was $100, but you only had $10, you could just buy 10% of that share and it would go up and down just the same. Oh my goodness. That's such an eye-opener for so many people. Even for myself, I you have an amazing email that I often suggest to people since you've, you started it, what, three months ago or a little bit? I don't know. Yeah, around three months. Yeah. And I was reading it one time when I was trying to put my son to sleep and I was on my phone while I have to just lie with him for like 10 minutes. And I was reading it and it was talking about Amazon split share. And I have Amazon shares, which I know is maybe considered very evil by people. But before you go off at me, I used to work there and that's they they actually pay your bonus in shares rather than in cash. And I just kept it there and I've just kept it there for my kids really, or for like a backup if everything went crap and we couldn't pay our mortgage. But I was reading your newsletter and it was talking about how they've split the shares. And I was like, oh my God. And I just Googled, you know, Amazon share price. And I freaked out because I was like, oh, the share price is like like nothing in comparison to what it was. But then I called the bank in America that holds them. And the guy was like, no, ma'am, you have not lost all your money. All your money. <laughs> like laughing at me. And I was like, what is this name? He's like, it's a split share. And he's like, once, once companies get to a certain amount, like at the time it was maybe $3,000 for a share, he's like, we will they will split them so that now one share is now worth 20 shares and anyone can start investing a lot cheaper, like you said. So so is that a thing, I'm putting you on the spot again, is that a thing that like tech companies do? Does everyone do it? So for anyone listening, if I'm not making sense, the shares were roughly two or $3,000 a share American and maybe 2000 and they split them so that they became like $100 a share so that people could buy into Amazon or any other, you know, company that's doing split share. Is split share a, a common thing? It's a great question. I also love that you called them up. That's so proactive. I think I feel like most people would be like, well, <laughs> I feel like most people would be like, well, that's my money gone. <laughs> oh no, it's always been our backup plan. So I was like, oh my God, like my stomach sank when I was reading your oh. newsletter, but I was so glad that I was reading your newsletter. Otherwise I would have just, because occasionally I'll just search Amazon share price and just see, like I've not touched them for 12 years. So, so sorry, keep going. Yeah, I wanted to kind of explain for, for those listening at home, the idea of a split share occurs when a company realizes that their share price is getting too high. So for example, Amazon went, oh, for one share, it's looking like two grand or $1,000. If we break it down, we can make the share price lower. But what that also means is the people that own those shares, they don't lose out money because they, rather than having like one share for $1,000, you just end up having lots of shares at $100 each. Another way to explain it is, let's say Apple splits and it does a two for one split. Rather than owning one Apple share for $100, your portfolio automatically changes it to two Apple shares for $50 each. So you've still got $100 worth of Apple shares. They're just smaller bites and smaller pieces that make up just as much as you've had before. Now, the funny thing about why companies do this is they do do it often. They do it more often these days because of the share prices going up so crazy in the last two years. So Apple did one, Google did one, Tesla did one, and of course, Amazon did one. And that's just because, as you might have like noticed, or if you kind of follow stock market news, 
the prices just kept going up and up in 20, up and up in 2021. And we probably won't see any this year because it hasn't been such a great year for the market. But here's a little like tricky bit of information that not a lot of people know or are privy to. You don't actually need the share price to drop from a stock split to buy an Amazon share for $100. There's this thing, like we mentioned earlier, called the fractional shares, that even if an Amazon share is $100,000, you can still put in $10 and own like 0.0001% of it. So you don't anymore have to wait for the share prices to drop. Companies just do this to entice new investors to think that, oh, hey, it's cheaper. Let me buy it. We just got some secret squirrel information. <laughs> you heard it here first. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I had no idea about this. And even the fact, like, I feel quite embarrassed to say that I had to find out about Amazon split share from your, your amazing email because I'm, I'm not looking at it all the time. And, and I, I think like what I said to you before, like with you and my, and my husband thinking you're amazing is we bought your course. We're working through that together. And I'm reading this book for the second time and then he's going to read it. And he he is also somebody that was like, neither of us grew up with like a whole lot of extra money around. And so, yeah, and his parents are actually from India as well. And we're just both trying to educate ourselves. And I love in the book that you constantly say, if you're in your 40s, it's okay. You know, it doesn't have to all be like get started. I mean, the earlier you can, the better. But I also wanted to talk to you, I know I mentioned before about your social media and how did you grow that, but you also do an amazing job, obviously, on your podcast with Sonia. It's hilarious and quite often laughing as like, it's hilarious, but it's also super informative. And you also have this kind of, what is it called? Like the money, the Monday questions when it's kind of like, is it murky Monday questions where people- yeah. Yeah, sticky money in Monday. Sticky That's Monday. One. So it's sort of where people are like saying, hey, like, you know, my brother's marrying a gold digger. How do I deal with this? So there's so many things that you can learn on that. You also, as I said, your email, I actually think is such a brilliant email because of what it brings out, but also the way that you've templated it. You, I'm imagining it's not as hard maybe as writing an email from scratch every single time that doesn't have sections. Like I've shown it to many of my clients as like, oh really? Yeah, and even just the fact that you don't have to change the subject line each time, everyone knows. Oh, this is the weekly stock market tea, and so you're not having to come up with a new subject line each week and hope that that changes your open rate. So actually, I think it's you're doing brilliantly, both of you. But I'm just wondering. Firstly, you've mentioned this before. You just started sort of to make a community, but did you did you think that girls that invest would become like a brand? I think to some degree in my heart, like deep down, I had an idea it would do well. I don't think it would, I didn't, I didn't think, you know, would end up in Vogue or would do, you know, have like a best-selling book or, or anything like that. I think those were definitely out of the ordinary. I think it'd be a little bit crazy <laughs> sitting in New Zealand going, you know what, Sonia and I, we're like five foot, we're going to be in Vogue. <laughs> Why not? Why not? Yeah. It's changed my, changed the way I viewed things. I think I just knew that when you find something that there's such a gap in, like with the Indian feminist, I always used to tell people like, I don't think it's because I'm great at what I do. I just think no one else was doing it. When you have no competition in an area, of course, it's going to you know blossom as long as you're not doing it terribly. And so with Girls That Invest, there was no stock market podcast woman. There was no Instagram account that was giving you know bite-sized investing news because as you've mentioned, and as most people are, who besides like myself checks the stock market every day and checks the news and wonders what's going on about companies, we have better, well, other people have better things to do with their time. And so I thought, well, if this is something I do for fun, then why not just share like the highlights, the things that are most important? Like let me sift through all the boring stuff to tell you the juicy, you know, stock market gossip. Oh, no, I think it's really good. And if anyone wants to sign up, of course, we'll have all the links for the email and the podcast and, and buying the book and everything in the show notes. But I wanted to also touch on Sonia, who is your partner in all of this and your business partner. So I'm wondering, like, how has it been running a business with a friend? Because you often, you know, you showed, I don't know if it was on Instagram or maybe it's in your book. You guys have been friends like your entire life. I work regularly with business partners. I've worked with people who are sisters. I've worked with people who are life partners as well, and then good friends or cousins or all sorts. And I've also worked with people who've actually like literally on a call have broken up a 25-year friendship. Like one of these <gasps> two guys, it was 
awful to watch and I just felt like crying for them. And so it can, like whenever I'm working with partners, I talk a lot at the start of our coaching, like what are your personality types? Like what do, you know, what's more important? Uh, you know, how can we create roles and responsibilities? And, and so I'm wondering, because you don't want that friendship to break up over a business, have you got any advice to others who might be listening who maybe want to go into business with their friend? Like how do you guys do it so well without ruining or stretching a friendship or even I saw recently on Instagram somebody sort of was questioning why it was your name on the book. Yeah, like how does that all work? It is so, so interesting how it's like panned out. But basically, and, and for those that like may not know, so Sonia and I, we've been friends since we were five. We've been friends for 25 years. And it's a long time to know someone. But it also means that you really know the ins and outs of them as a friend. It doesn't mean you'll know the ins and outs of them as uh, someone that you do business with. And so when I started Girls at Invest, you know, I was doing it for a few months and I said, I'm going to look for someone to join me for the podcast. And it's, you know, it just has to be someone that comes in one hour a week. It's not like a big commitment. And I couldn't find anyone. I was like, who would I do it with? Who would I do it with? And then Sonia and I just sort of randomly, but also at the perfect time, started opening up about our money. And we had like a deep conversation for like two hours on my bedroom floor in my flat. And I went, oh, like she's been here this whole time. Like my best friend, this is who I should talk to about money because like we're we're about to learn so much about each other, we might as well record it. Mm. And so I I think the reason why it's worked out so well is because from the very get-go, we kind of set like our expectations and we set our roles very separately. And so I kind of said to her, Hey, look, like this is this thing I'm doing. I'm very happy to, you know, continue to by myself do X, Y, and Z, whether that be the social media, reaching out to brands, kind of pitching us to media, like that stuff that I think I might be good at. And I know you're also really good at like editing a podcast or organization or, you know, sending out sort of reaches to different people. So would you mind taking care of that if and when we grow? And so from the get-go, even we had even though we hadn't reached the portion where, you know, we had a course or we had a book or anything we kind of set out like this is what I would do and this is what you would do and if we if and when we'd get to those situations we then just check in with each other like hey do you want to do this together would you like to do the book together would you like to jump onto this media together and one thing that I learned about Sonia and, and myself is that I was very extroverted and she was very introverted and so when like media opportunities would come I'd go yes like take me on and Sonia would go you know what I've had a really crazy week. I don't want to do this. And so for me, it was, well, I've got to respect her boundaries. So I'll go and do it. You know, it's still a great opportunity. And I think for a little bit of time, we started having having people wonder, well, you know, is one person like not letting the other person do it? Whereas the, the real behind the scenes was me being like, please come along, like, please do this. And then me, you know, needing to respect her boundaries. So we've definitely had those ups and downs of who's going to do what. But I think if you can set that from the get go and then continue to check in with each other, then communication is going to be fine. Yeah. Oh my goodness. I love that you said that from the get go. So often I work with business partners who might've been in business for like five to 10 years. And one thing that I'll, and I know people love or hate personality tests, but I always say, can you do 16personalities.com? And I love 16 personalities. <laughs> because I actually had a similar, like I worked with a friend on these events and we kind of got to the end of one event and we'd worked for like four or five months together. And we both sort of felt like the other person, you know, that we'd done all the work and that the other person hadn't, and she felt similarly. And so we had breakfast together and we did the personality test and we, we were complete opposites. And so for her, you know, if she saw an opportunity, she was like, yeah, let's just go for it. Whereas if I had an opportunity come to me, I'd be like, oh, I should discuss it with her. We should work out pros and cons. And we were just different personality types. And it didn't mean one was better than the other. It just we had to understand that about each other. So I think it's so important. Even when you mentioned I'm an extrovert, she's an introvert. Yeah, that even just that you're in business partnership and you want to do this, you know, you both want to make this thing work. You, you're not going to necessarily have the same pathway to do that. Oh, absolutely. And if there's like anything that has really helped is just nipping things in the bud, you know, as soon as possible, because you're going to spend so much more time together. And mm. there's definitely been instances where, you know, we're, we're, we're having a meeting and I go, wow, like, what, what's the tone from? Like, what's happened? And she's gone, 
she like, but I wouldn't say it. And so she goes home, like, and she's happy. She's had a great day. She's cheerful. And in my head, I'm like, what have I done? Like, what? Yeah. Have, and you just, you know, think about it for so long. And then I still remember that because it happened once. I still remember like kind of reaching out to her and going, hey, like, did something happen? What did I do? And she was like, no, not at all. Like, yeah. everything's fine. And so had I not communicated, I probably would have, you know, had a terrible day and probably been really distant myself because, oh, like, she doesn't want to talk to me. Maybe I should give her some space. Yes. And we can go on that spiral. I can do that where I'm like, or even people have said it to me, are you okay? Like, are you angry at me? And I'm like, oh, no, like my son's got gastro. Like, I just haven't got back to anyone's text message right now. Like, it's nothing personal. But, yeah, we can we can totally go down that road. <laughs> And so obviously you're a mentor for many in regards to finances and putting yourself out there and and just all the things. Have you had any mentors on this kind of business journey or are there even a mantra? Uh, I know you mentioned that woman's comment about the podcast or are there books or documentaries or anything that has really helped you build your businesses? Do you know what? This is so embarrassing and I I, I want you to hear me with an open mind when I say this, but I find the Kardashians to be really interesting people to watch and learn from when it comes to business. And if there's anyone I've learned marketing from, it's just been from growing up watching Keeping Up with the Kardashians and going, oh, that's interesting. That's how Kris Jenner does it. Maybe I'll, you know, try that too. Oh my God. You do not have to apologize. You're talking to someone who's watched every single episode ever. Have you? Yes. Oh my God, me too. Yes. And I'm dying for the next season. I'm like, oh, come on. I feel so sad whenever it gets to the end. Who's your favorite? Oh, my favorite's Chris. Absolutely. Chris, have you watched her masterclass? I am actually, I I watched like five minutes of the first one. I don't think she's going to give too much away. It's very slow. No, it's very slow. I was like, I watched, I was watching it on like double speed. And I was like, is this going anywhere? I feel like she gave away more in the episode recording masterclass on Keeping Up With Kardashians than she did (laughs) in the masterclass. But mine, my favorite is Chloe, but sorry, I've interrupted. So outside of Keeping Up With The Kardashians, anything else that's helped you? No, no, I, I love, first of all, I love Chloe. I, I guess not, but I'm I'm happy to kind of d- dive into what I've actually learned from them and what's been really helpful. You know, one of the oh. biggest pieces of advice that I have taken away that has been monumental is something that like Christina keeps saying, which is that if you get told no, you're asking the wrong person. And Initially, I didn't understand what that meant. I was like, does that mean you just go behind people's back? Like, that's not really what I want to do. But I realized what it means is don't always take no for an answer and see it as the end. Well, maybe like there's some other way to negotiate. Maybe there's someone else that you could talk to within the brand, maybe the same person, but just a different angle. And so, you know, when we started, I would reach out to so many brands in the media and go, you know, we're doing some great work, you know, right now we're the number one business podcast in New Zealand. And they would go, cool, like, congrats, but why would we cover that? And I think if it had this been me younger, I would have been like, oh, I'm I'm rejected. Like, I, I could never email this person again. But then we got number one, you know, podcast in New Zealand overall. So I messaged them again. Again, they said, cool, like, but we don't care. Then we got number one business podcast in the US and the UK, uh, number two in Australia, And I was like, oh my God, like surely you would want to cover this. Like we're New Zealanders and we're on the global stage. And they said, yeah, maybe like we'll get back to you. Not too sure. And a month had passed, sorry, a week had passed at that point. And so what I realized was, you know, you could just say, well, I'm not worth covering. This is not a great story. Or you could be your own biggest advocate. And I worked out an email address of their business managers that they said they were going to send this off to. And I just sent it off to her instead. And I said, Hey, look, you know, it's been a week. Do you still want exclusive rights to the story? Otherwise I'm going to bounce. And they published it. And once they did, then everyone did. And that was our big break into the media space. And it's just so interesting to me. Sonia was like, Sim, you must be the most annoying person for journalists right now. No, not at all. But, but yeah, so what I learned from that was, you know, keep pushing for for yourself. Even very recently, like I was like, it would be my dream to do a book tour and do one at Barnes and Noble at The Groove, which is like, you know, this beautiful three-story bookstore in the US that's been featured in movies. And so I asked, you know, can I, could I do it there? And my publisher said, sorry, they said no. So then I went, 
no, I'm going to try again. So then I called up the store myself and they said, sorry, we need eight weeks notice. And then I said, well, I could do it in eight weeks. Like I'll move my flights around if you need me to. And they were like, oh, you know, we'll see. And then they got back to me and they said, actually, the manager was in funnily enough. And she said, yes. So, so it went from three no's to eventually yes. But these things happen when you push and advocate for yourself. It never comes. No one's going to hand it to you on a silver platter and go have the book tour, have the signings, have the media. You've really just got to be your biggest advocate. Mm-hmm. Oh my goodness. So, so much. Yes, I agree with that. When I put my book out, which unfortunately couldn't do a tour because it was lockdown city. And then the next year I thought I'll do a 12 month party. And then we were in lockdown again. <laughs> and I was like, okay, in four years, we'll have a tour for my book. But I think it's so important because I also was like, okay, you know, the publisher will just have this whole marketing strategy. And they, you know, they had, they had some marketing strategy and ideas, but I was like, okay, this isn't happening how I want it to happen. So here's my fault. And I went out to a good friend, actually the one who had the uh, personality test with me and she runs a PR agency. And I said, how, how can we do this? Cause you're super expensive. <laughs> she was like, let's just do a barter. You do marketing strategy and I'll do, I'll get someone to work on your PR for half a day. And they just did such a good job. So I totally agree that like, don't just go, oh, well, you know, I'm not important enough or, you know, whatever you think or whatever you're telling yourself, just get out and try and do it yourself. It's so crazy that if you do just leave and, and, you know, love my publisher, just want to put it out there. If you do leave things out to the world to do for you, it just won't happen. No one understands your brand or your vision the way you do. And sometimes it is just a matter of, you know, maybe I could try, maybe I could try and do something else or show it from a different way. But that's just been like us from the get go, all these opportunities that we've had have just come from being proactive. And, you know, in New Zealand, bless them, there's a really big radio show over here. Big for New Zealand, maybe is a better way to put it. And I just messaged them on Instagram and I was like, hey, do you mind if I jump on? And they were like, yeah, of course. Like, we'll see you this week. And, you know, if you have the audacity to ask, worse I can say is no, but if at least you ask, you know, you're getting yourself maybe a few more things than you would have otherwise. Oh, I completely agree. And so outside of the Kardashians, with all that you've got going on, are there any apps or the tech platforms that you and Sonia just couldn't run your business without? Oh, I have recently just signed up this week, not an ad, to monday.com. And I'm really loving it because with a lot of small businesses, small startups like ours, there's just so many little tasks, you know, you don't have an entire marketing team. You don't have an entire socials team. You don't have an entire, you know, outreach team. It's just you and and maybe your partner or someone else in the business kind of doing it all together. So you're wearing many hats and wearing many hats has sometimes meant that things start to, you know, sometimes fall off or you accidentally open an email that you forgot about and, you know, you forget about it for a month, which is not what you want to do. So I love monday.com, but I'm also just a fan of the simple stuff. Like I love Google calendar. I don't write my tasks out for the day. I just pop them into the calendar and go, okay, around 12 o'clock that needs to be done. And that has been monumental. And what else do I like? I think I've, I'm also really a big fan of Toggle. Have you heard of Toggle? Yes. Every VA I've ever worked with uses Toggle for time management and you're seeing how much their tasks are taking, how long their tasks are taking. It's so good and it's great. It's also great as a business owner yourself to understand where you're spending your time. You know, you just kind of click start when you do a task, end it when you're done. It's good for time blocking. And then it lets you see, you know, are you actually putting a lot of your energy into the right places? So I love it and it's free. Yes. Oh my goodness. Such a good one. And so as we come to the end of our chat, what are you most proud of from your journey with Girls That Invest so far? Oh, what am I most proud of? I would have to say the book, seeing the book in people's hands and seeing the book being used, seeing people highlight them, you know, fold pages, write on them, pass them on. I think that's just been so incredible. You know, a lot of our businesses, and I'm sure uh, your community would agree, does feel a little bit online these days. You know, we start out and you've got your Instagram, you've got your outreach, you do your, you know, maybe your webinars, things. You don't get to see people face to face, but to have something physical, to go out there and meet people and see them have, you know, actual direct impact by something that you've created. I don't think there's 
any better feeling than just seeing someone go, hey, I bought the book and it really helped and now I invest. And that just does it for me. Oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. Yes. Yes. I feel like that every time I see anyone post the book, my book, um, but also your your books, (laughs) because that's what we're here to talk about. But I hear you. I hear you so much when people are like, oh, it was my dream. One day I'll do it to walk through an airport and have somebody reading my book because then I could go up and sit next to them and be like, what do you think? (laughs) Have you done that yet? Have you had anyone like reading your book that you're like, oh, that looks like a good book. What's it about? And then they can tell you. I have, but it's only been my own friends and family. (laughs) But that's, I also just want to take a moment to give a little shout out to your book. Um, We were talking about this earlier off air, but I did not not mention it for that reason. (laughs) This time last year, I was so lost with my business. I was so, yeah, just, I I was, I just had like a big mental block and I was like, what's next? What's happening? Like, I don't know what I'm going to do. And I was, I'm, I'm a very proactive person. So I went to the bookstore and I was like, I need to find a business book that's going to kick me into action. And I looked everywhere and I saw yours and I sort of flicked through it and I was like, this is exactly what I need. I was going on a road trip with my friends. And so while everyone was kind of enjoying themselves, I was in the corner with a pen, like writing and scribbling in the book. Like, this is my plan. <laughs> These are my strengths and weaknesses. Like, I'm going to take action. And I mean, it worked. It's helped so much and we've grown from strength to strength and I cannot recommend it enough. I remember messaging you and kind of fangirling and be like, I loved your book. Like, thank you so much for creating it. (laughs) Oh, no. And now I'm a total, like the tables have turned and I'm like a total fan. I am just, thank you. Thank you for saying that. Thank you so much. And I love, and I was saying it before we hit record, like I love that people scribble in it because, you know, I don't know if you grew up like this, but you grew up never like, defacing a book and always putting things maybe in, in like gray lead or something. But yeah, I'm, I'm fully defacing your book at the moment, not defacing, but just using it, using it. So putting heaps of heaps of stuff through. So yeah, I'm, it's, it's funny, isn't it? How the universe has moved because yeah, it was lovely to connect with you over my book. And also I'm just in awe of your book and I wish I had had this book 20 years ago. I might be in a completely different financial state than I am in now, which is, I mean, not in a bad one, but it can always be improved. So what's next for you? I know you have your course that you put out. Obviously, you've got the book tour. Where can people connect with you? And and what should, you know, if people are listening to this thinking, oh my goodness, I, I've read the book and I want more help, or I um, haven't read the book yet. Like, what's the best way to connect with you? I would say that we're finally doing out. So we do them only a few times a year. Our investing masterclass is coming out um, in September. So you can just follow us on Instagram to see the updates on that. It is our kind of only sort of paid product that we have besides the book, of course. And it just breaks down investing in so much more depth. But if you're like, you know what, I'm not really ready for that stage. I just want like real basics. The book is a really, really, really friendly way to start. It's going to be the kind of thing that you could, you know, read and then also give to like your 12-year-old sister. I think we don't give young people enough credit. They're pretty onto it. Mm. And we've seen so many people go, wow, I read it. And then I bought six copies for like all my nieces. Yes, that's exactly what I I have a 15-year-old niece. And I thought that too when I was reading it. I was like, I'm totally buying this for Cecily. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. So, so good. And just to put you on the spot as well, I'm sure you have a full pipeline of brands lined up. But if brands are listening to this and they're like, oh, I'd like to advertise on her podcast or maybe get you to come over for a conference. We have, you know, listeners all over the world as well. Do you, are you open to that? Do they just contact you guys? Yeah, absolutely. Just hello at girlsthatinvest.com. We've done a lot of corporate conferences. So we've worked with like Mecca and Lululemon and um, going into like even HSBC and Oracle and Salesforce, which is absolutely crazy. But you don't really realize it, but there's so many great, successful, smart people out there in the world. And you just assume everyone knows investing, but we don't. So we're always happy to have a chat. Yeah. And I think particularly retail head office. So where I used to work, which was part of Country Road Group and David Jones and all of that, I think it's like 87% female or it was back in the day. Mm. I think those people like particularly, you know, we have such a gender gap in pay we and, and superannuation and savings and everything else. I think those companies, if anyone's listening and needs a speaker, I definitely think need to get in touch with you because the more people that can find out all this goodness that you're sharing, the better. 
Thank you so much, so, so much, Sim, for coming on and giving up your time. And I'm so glad we got here. And um, yeah, thank you for coming onto the podcast and sharing so much. Oh, thank you for having me. It, it, like I said, it's just, it's so crazy that like literally this time this year, I was like, oh my God, like she's replied to my story. Like what an honor. <laughs> and now it feels like you yeah. like the book too. So it's amazing. <laughs> and I'm like that too. Oh my God, she's replied to my story. Um, no, thank you so much. Yeah. I can't wait. I'm going to, um, I'm going to actually put this as one of our business book club books for the next round of group coaching as well. So it's awesome. Thank you so, so much and enjoy the rest of your day and good luck with all your travel and tours and everything else you have coming up. Bye. Oh, thank you. Bye. Oh my goodness. What a refreshing chat about money. And I just think that Simran, obviously from what little I know of her through her course and her book and her podcast and some DMs that we've had, I just think she's so genuine and down to earth and it's really, really changing the world. And I don't mean that lightly. I mean, if I in my 40s can read her stuff and listen to it and think, oh my goodness, we're going to do more of this or we're going to do, you know, less of that. You know, I just think that, my God, if you can get started earlier in your life with this, what a blessing and just opening up the doors and breaking down walls and all those kind of cliche sayings, but it really is happening through Girls That Invest. So it's my absolute pleasure to have Simran Kaur on the podcast today. I would love to know what you took away. I'm sure there's many, many things that you took away from that, but I'd love to know what you took away. I'm sure Sim and Sonia would as well. So feel free to DM us. You can DM Sim and Sonia at girls that invest all one word on Instagram. You can also send me a message anytime at my daily business coach. So yeah, I'd love to know kind of what you took away from this. As always, I'm going to highlight two things that stood out for me amongst many, many, many. The first is be your own advocate. I absolutely loved that Sim talked about that. And she talked about, you know, particularly with the media, you know, going to a a publication and and suggesting that they profile them and getting kind of knockback, 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 and not letting that deter her. I know with my book, I actually you know, contacted somebody that I used to study with and then they recommended somebody else. And then I sent that woman, you know, she contacted me and said, yeah, do you have a book proposal? And I said, yeah, sure I do. And I ran home and made one that day and I sent it to her in around October and I hadn't heard anything. And I was like, oh, you know, don't want to hassle her. Didn't hear anything like for a couple of months. And then I thought, you know what, I, I'm kind of, I really want to have this book published and I think it's a good proposal. So you know, she hasn't got back to me. So I'm going to contact her. Uh, Similar to what Sim did was like, you know, hey, you guys haven't got back to me. I'm going to go somewhere else. And I just said, I haven't, you know, you haven't got back to me. And she's like, oh my God, I've had such a busy time. I completely forgot to send it to the person at the publisher. And then she sent it and literally we had a week, you know, I think it was like a meeting the next week. And so it was like, oh my God, if I had never chased that up, I would have talked in my head about, oh, well, she thought it was crap or she thought this or that, which was actually not true at all. So I loved be your own biggest advocate and really go for things and and don't necessarily take the first no as the final answer. The second thing that I love that Sim talked about was the partnership with Sonia and talking about that it's not going to be easy sailing the whole time, but if you can iron out things at the start and if you can kind of confirm, you know, who's good at this or who wants that role, it will really, really help things down the track. I, as I said in the in the podcast interview, I work with many couples or partners or friends or sisters or siblings or, you know, people that are in a business partnership together. And I think it's so important to sit down and have a real conversation and not just even about roles and responsibilities, but about allocation of of monies that come in, of different people's backgrounds. I work with business partnerships where they have been, you know, going from strength to strength. I've worked with partnerships where they have broken up and I've worked with people where one person has wanted to buy somebody else out, or maybe they have left the business for some reason. And there's so much intertwined with that. It's not just business. It's quite often really longstanding relationships. And you want to be really conscious if you're going into a partnership, particularly with a friend or a family member or anyone that, you know, you've got a really strong relationship with outside of the business, that that relationship comes first and that that relationship is nurtured and it doesn't just all become about talking about the business. In fact, I think my very first interview for this podcast was with Josh Rubin, the founder of Cool Hunting, and he is married to his business partner, Evan. 
And he talked about some really good advice that his mum had given him, which was have something in the day that is not work-related and you don't talk about work. And so every time that Josh and Evan have dinner, it's a, it's a no-go zone for work chat. And I, he said that that has been really, really important for them in their relationship, which is I think they've been, gosh, I think they've been together at least 20 years. I'm not sure how long they've been married for, but yeah, it's such an amazing partnership and they've built so much together. And so I think it's really, really important. And I love what Sim talked about with Sonia, just really understanding that, you know, one's an extrovert, one's an introvert, being really conscious of each other's boundaries and making sure that that friendship comes first before anything else. So if you have listened to this and you are really keen to get in touch with Sonia or Sim or, you know, check out their products or their book, you can find all of that information at girlsthatinvest.com. The book is available absolutely everywhere. It is so good. Like I said, I'm in my second read of it. There's so many tips and insights and really just broken down. If you're listening to this thinking, oh, my God, but I'm not good with numbers or I'm you know, not good at money or all the things that people tell themselves, just know it is broken down in a way that is really easily understood. And just giving you, I mean, it's just, it's really breaking down huge sort of financial jargon and other things that people, I think, get kind of turned off by in a really great, easy to read approachable way, which is exactly how Girls in Invest are on their podcast and through their social media. So if you wanted to connect with them again, it's girlsthatinvest.com. You can find their podcast everywhere. Just search for Girls That Invest. On Instagram, it's at Girls That Invest. And if you're interested in the Indian feminist, it's at the underscore Indian underscore feminist. If you wanted to go through this in text format, you can find the full show notes for this over at mydailybusinesscoach.com forward slash podcast forward slash 234, as this is episode 234. And as this is coming out today, the 1st of September, make sure that you check out, you know, when their course is coming out, because Sim did mention that will come out in September. I am a proud student of that course and I just think it's it's going to really change the world. It is changing the world. So, yeah, and, and I think Sim talks about this in her, in her book as well, but it, particularly with women, if women can feel financially stable and secure, I mean, the whole community benefits from that and the greater world benefits. So thank you again, Sim, for coming on to the podcast and thank you for listening. If you found this useful, I would love it so, so much if you could leave a review. Just make sure that other small business owners who are out there get to hear all of Sim's great advice and all the amazing amazing insights and wisdom from all of our guests that have been on the My Daily Business Coach podcast. Thanks so much for listening. I'll see you next time. Bye. Thanks for listening to the My Daily Business Coach podcast. If you want to get in touch, you can do that at mydailybusinesscoach.com or hit me up on Instagram at mydailybusinesscoach.com.